Hi, this is Pritam Atma from Mystical Motherhood. I have an amazing guest. I'm going to let her introduce herself today, and she's going to teach us some awesome things and tell us all about her new book. Do you want to introduce yourself, Mary? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, my name is Mary, Dr. Mary Duncan, and I have got a brand new book that hit number one last Monday, if you can believe it. So it was a bestseller. Um, brand new, um, basically on the market, and it's called You Really Can Make a Difference, Seven Strategies Moms Can Use to Support School Readiness for Their Young Child. And tell me about your background and how you began to write this book and get this expertise and what you can help women listening today. Oh, that's great. Um, well, it started about 30 years ago. I had a son that was born almost a month early. And with that, he was born on the cutoff day uh, when school began. So for him, I was potentially looking at the youngest child and um, possibly with him being born early, developmental delays. So from just a few months old, I began thinking in my mind, I need to start preparing him for school readiness, otherwise he was going to really be struggling um, with being prepared. Uh, so I began researching during his break, uh, during his nap times. I would take out some of my early childhood textbooks. I was a classroom teacher, primary grades, taught early childhood as well. Um, and from that, I began creating activities for him. I would write them down and my thought was, you know, if I have more children, I'll have all these activities ready and uh, that would be great. Well, I never had any more, but uh, women's groups, churches, different places asked me to come and share with them the activities that I found. And so I began doing that for about 20 years, just going around and sharing with mom groups. Then I realized, uh, you know what? I want to go back to school. Moms deserve the best. So I went back for a master's did research on uh, what specifically in the five main subject areas children need to know and how then can I equip mothers um, to be able to help support that foundation for school readiness uh, with simple activities that they can do around the house. Well, as soon as that was done, my master's professor said, Mary, you need to keep going. And I thought, I can't do that. I can't get a doctorate. Well, there I went. And uh, several years later, I finished up with my doctoral research in early childhood, um, specifically focusing on activities moms can do to help prepare children for school readiness. So the book that I wrote is what the research, what I found out from experience from moms, 30 years experience, and uh, also just research. So a couple questions come automatically. That's awesome that you did all of that. You should be very proud and happy to help all these women. But um, I'd love to hear like the three top things that, you know, really work for people that they can practically do if if they're a working mom and, you know, a stay-at-home mom. Because I know for working moms, it's harder to have that time. And then also another question that comes to mind that you maybe can weave in just happens to be, I get a lot of requests for podcasts and I, I've never said yes. And I, I said, yes, to you like immediately I wrote you back and I've never done that actually really ever. And, um, I, 
I hadn't even thought about it, but my daughter just like, I didn't even think of the correlation of my intuition of falling through, but she was just diagnosed with likely dyslexia and also ADD because, but she's very special. She's very magical. You know, she's like a little fairy, incredibly psychic, you know, all of it. Like, I know that it doesn't really matter for her. It has nothing to do with what her future will be about, but I caught it so early but I didn't, I mean, I did, probably didn't do enough activities with her, but she's also the youngest of her class. I recognized that in the car ride before coming to talk to you. I said, oh, I, I thought about, you know, her name's Indian. She's the youngest of her class. So how do I, you know, how do we do it from the, you know, zero to five, but then also like, what if we, it's too late? When is it too late? What can we do afterwards? Oh gosh, you know, it's never too late. I, I like I said, my favorite grade to teach was first. I've taught, um, well, all the elementary grades. Um, now I teach graduate school. So I actually teach teachers uh, that have classrooms full of, ki- of children. And I like to inspire them. So going back to your question, really, you can start anywhere. Just start where you're at right now, reading to her. Um, now, with dyslexia, uh, phonics is really important. And the reason I say that is I, too, have dyslexia. And that was not diagnosed when I was young. But we learn differently. Uh, We learn in a different part of our brain for reading. And um, what I have found is we do work harder. And it does pay off in the end. All the research that I did um, ended up paying off for the moms that I now serve. Because I dig into what I do it is hard work that accomplishes things. And I bet your daughter can do that. Um, creativity is there. We think in more um, holistic. Um, so that will benefit her in the long run. But for school, I would encourage uh, manipulatives. I would encourage Things like when you're uh, adding one uh, plus two, you could have one little bear plus two little bears. So she visually sees um, what she is adding so that she can understand that the number one means one bear. The number two means two bears. And the reason I say that is because I had a student in first grade that did not understand that concept which is why I kept going younger and younger and younger, um, thinking, well, if I can build this foundation, then they're more prepared for the next year. Well, if I build this next grade, then they'll be more prepared. And I finally realized that it's when they're at home, when we are moms and we're the first teacher in our child's life. So there are specific things that we can do with our young children while they're still at home. And, And my goal is nine to 15 minutes a day, nine to 15 minutes. That being, anybody can do that. As a working mom, we can do that. As a stay-at-home mom, we can do that. It can be broken up in two minutes here, three minutes there. Uh, Another three minutes at another time, whether it's getting ready in the morning, um, reading before they go to bed, as they're playing in the, their bath water. Um, they're, it's just a matter of adding things into their day during routine times of the day using things we have around the house. In other words, I'm not advocating going out and spending a fortune on toys. It's the conversations that we have with our children. It's the problem solving that we're able to ask um, that helps them to think in that higher thinking skills. Um, 
when we are at the grocery store and we are walking through the vegetable line and our child's in the cart and we talk about uh, which of these vegetables here is green and then help showing them which one to pick that's green. Um, and that's just done. That's that's 20 seconds. And yet it's just part of the day. So it's not like we send our child over here for three hours to plan something because that's not realistic. Because a child's attention span, and I cover this more in the book, that um, a child's attention span is three minutes times their age. For example, if your child is two years old, their attention span would be six minutes. So if your child is four years old, again, we times that times 12 or to equal 12. So realistically, to be able to hold your child's attention span for two or three minutes, that's great. When you look at a book, and when I say look at a book, if you have a child that's two or three years old sitting on your lap, you won't have a chance to read through the whole story and them to sit mesmerized for every page. That's a rare child. But realistically, you may choose five pages that have pictures of things that they remember, like a kitty, 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 a dog, um, baby. Uh, you know, you point out those things in the book and what you're doing is you are labeling their environment and you are building their literacy skills so that when they go to school, they will be able to um, understand more words and uh, their literacy um, vocabulary will be more developed. I can see you're ready for another question. <laughs> I'm just thinking... Um... So when you've been working with moms, like what are the common things, what are the common issues that they've, you know, like come to you for? What's like, I know because the dyslexia one, that's really great to hear. I know that it, everyone's born with what they're supposed to be born with to do what they're here to do. Right. Exactly. But what about for, like, what other issues have you seen with moms come up that are specifically, like you see them over and over and over again? Yes. I guess just the thought of realizing, is there something that I can do today that can help my child in the future? Is, is there anything I, I can do? And, and let me give you an example. Okay, you're in the kitchen and you finish with um, cooking all the eggs and you have an empty egg carton and you have a jar on the side with large white marshmallows in it and you take out 12 marshmallows you help your child to see that you can put one marshmallow in each of the containers, the egg carton. What you're learning is some of the, the pre-math concepts of one-to-one -one correspondence. In other words, only one marshmallow will fit into one part of the container. So they're building uh, understanding of the one-to-one -one correspondence or just a basic pre-math activity. Um, other things I could talk about was literacy, science things. This is really fun. If you if you do something like, okay, bathtub, um, if you take various container, Tupperware containers, um, cottage cheese lids, um, an assortment of sizes, and then a handful of pennies, and you can ask your child, how many pennies do you think we can put on top of this lid before it falls over? And, you know, you're, you're washing their hair and, and cleaning and, and uh, 
um, doing what we need to do as moms. And they are trying to see how many pennies that they can put on top. Okay, so let's say they have a small one and they can put 10 pennies on it. And you say, all right, this next circle is larger. Do you think we can put more pennies on that? Or do you think we can put less pennies on that? Again, you're building the vocabulary, more, less. Um, And they're starting to see bigger, smaller, and that there is a difference. So the the book um, and the activities that I share are common things we can do during routine times of the day. It's not something that you have to be highly skilled at. It's not something that is difficult or, I mean, we all have pennies. Um, We all have plastic, you know, lids because, you know, if you keep things or recycle things, I didn't have a lot of money to work with when, when my son was small. And so I just used what I had around the house, which is where all the ideas came from. And so now um, in December, I'm looking at launching a second book, and that book will contain um, over a thousand ideas for moms to be able to just read age-appropriate activities in the five main subject areas. But this first book basically talks about um, how long is a child's attention span, when is the best time for teachable moments, because there's cycles of a child's day, um, what activities can I do? Um, if my child is three years old, what activities could I do in pre-math? Um, I talk about bonding. I talk about the brain and how we learn. Um, and then specifically where we as moms uh, impact the brain. You're- Can I ask, um, as you're saying that, uh, what are the times of days that are better? Like, I know I don't function as well at night. Are they going to function? I mean, is it is it per child or is it... Yes. Excellent question. Um, It does. That's where we become, as moms, we become a student of our child. We find out what their strengths are. We find out what their favorite color is. My son's favorite color was orange. So if I was to introduce a new activity, um, I would find something orange to use to introduce that activity. It would be something that would uh, draw him in sooner or quicker because it started off with something that he enjoyed, which was orange. Um, Okay, so the time of the day, okay, depending on if your child has just awakened from a nap, they are alert mentally, but their body is not fully engaged with activity. So that would be a good time to read to your child. And again, you've got to read your child's body language. Are they high energy or are they more mellow? Um, so during the mellow times, um, and I specifically list out, uh, things that you can do, that would be an example as they get a little bit older, um, coloring, learning about markers, putting puzzles together, uh, learning to use scissors, um, you know, as you have them close to you or, um, again, markers, paper with no lines on it. Uh, That way it doesn't force the child to stay within the lines, but it allows for creativity as they're trying to make those little fun letters to start with. Um, Okay, so for big muscle activities, it would be things like uh, the younger years, they could pull a laundry basket behind them as they're they're learning to walk around or pushing something. Um, Large muscle activities would be climbing and play equipment, riding a bike, um, doing things outside where 
they have to use big muscles um, um, where they want to get rid of a lot of energy. So yes, there are times of the day for different things. Um, what about thinking at, what about for people that have more than one child mm-hmm. and each child, you know, each child's very different. So like one that's like type A and another one that's not, and one that's like really good. How do you manage the self-esteem of kids that, you know, they look up to their older brother or sister and then they create a complex because that, oh. does that make sense? Yes. Oh, yes. Um, and and I do address that a little bit. It's uh, building your child's self-esteem. Um, and what I try to focus on, when you have an older child, it's important to be able to have the little one, either, you know, if you have an opportunity to have them in for a nap or um, playpen or something like that where they can be corralled or... Um, not involved so much with a child if they're putting a puzzle together. And that allows you some one-on-one time. And again, this can be two to three minutes. And then the other child may start fussing, you pick them up, and that then you're ready to do something with them. Um, but it's weaving them into your day where we're interacting with them, asking them questions. I've got a video on my website. It's called Tools for Motherhood, which is the website, toolsformotherhood.com. And in the, the video, it talks about the five main key points to keep in mind when doing teachable moments. And, it, you know, things I talk about are squatting down at their level, um, um, gentle touch, um, the tone of our voice, eye-to-eye contact. Um, and I give il- examples of those as well. Um, so going back to, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I like that, you know, getting down on your knees. I remember I have a memory from childhood. My mom's an early education teacher and, or she was, yeah. And she, and I said, I, I only remembered my teacher's skirt, a polka dot skirt. And she's like, that's because she never got down on her knees and talked to you. So you only saw her polka dots. And I only could, I don't remember what she looked like. It was kind of like a cartoon when they have the teachers talking and you see the polka dot skirt. And I now get on my knees a lot, talk to my kids, but I have, this is kind of like an odd, different kind of question. So there is, you know, I've read a lot of books about ancient ways of parenting. So in tribal societies, they would do only adult activities and then the children would, you know, have to like almost adapt to the adult world. And in this new world we're creating, it's almost like a helicoptering world of parent of parenting. You know, like let's let's give them so many classes and my kid's going to go to this class and this class and this activity and this activity. And I have always kind of, I mean, I do activities with my kids, but I've raised my children to be in the adult world. They're still kids, but like they traveled around the world with me. They can go to nice restaurants. They can hold themselves in a train. You know what I mean? They can play on, they can be on an airplane, Um, but they're also still children and I let them play. But how do you balance between like the type A mom? Yeah. that really wants to do activity after activity, activity. Cause I can just take, see like people could take your book yeah. and then make it kind of helicopter, you know, with the wrong word or yeah. how do you have a balance between those two ways of parenting? Like the tribal way of like the child becomes a part of the adult community. Yes. Versus. Okay. I, that's a, a wonderful question because what we realize is play is a child's work. For you and I, you know, we've got to make dinner, whether we're stay at home or whether we have a job outside the home, um, because we work no matter what we do. But 
for children, work for them is play. And that's where they learn the most, curiosity. Um, They're curious about what happens when baking soda is added to um, vinegar. And suddenly, you know, there's uh, bubbling over. Or what if you have uh, a glass of water and you add four drops of yellow and one drop of red? Oh, my goodness. It turned to orange. How did that happen? You know, just entering their world and having fun. With children, um, we are, sorry, uh, with children, um, Our goal is to allow opportunities for them to play because play is how those pegs of things that they're learning, for example, pre-math, pre-science, pre-social studies, pre-writing and pre-reading, the foundations that we're building um, are uh, built through use of the five senses, taste, touch, hear, smell, and see. As moms, when we provide opportunities for our children to engage in activities, like uh, we go out right now with fall and leaves, we pick a bunch of leaves, and then we sort out all the red leaves and the yellow leaves. Um, We're helping them to organize things. We're playing with them a little bit, but yet they're able to continue on with organizing if they're around four or five. Um, Again, Understanding they are children, they do learn differently, and uh, providing opportunities where their curiosity is um, um, brought to the surface, and then they're able to experiment with their world and learn more about it. And when do you think it's too early to have them do chores? Oh, when is a good idea to bring in chores? Because I'm finding that I'm getting a lot done by assigning things. Yes. Uh, Chores allow children to feel part of the family. Matter of fact, the second book, I even break it down into ages and specific things that they can do with chores. Now, with my son, what what I did is I had chores and I paid him with pennies. And for each job, we'd count out maybe... um, picking up the trash from the trash can in the bathroom and dumping it into the the kitchen trash can. You know, he earned two pennies with that. And then at the end of the week, we counted up how many pennies did he earn. Um, That happened to work well with him. Another time he was sick and he did chores and he earned stickers and for a sticker page. And uh, so you have to, I guess, just decide what works best with your child and, um, and adapt it from there. And what do you think about, how do we assess what, how our child learns best? Uh, like, how do we know, like, they learn by writing, or they learn by hearing, or they learn by sight? Like, what, what would give us the best signs that, like, that, like, because I remember I learned to read because my grandma put up all of these, which I wouldn't do in my house because I'm really into design. Yeah. But my grandma like filled her whole house up with posters. Sure. And then I began to learn the songs from the posters. And then I Uh began to read that way. And Uh that's like, I remember that really worked for me. I don't know how she knew that. I don't know why she knew that, but she just knew I needed that. So tell me like, what, how do we, is it intuitive or is it like, Well, you are, as each of us mothers have our children home with us for the first five years, we are going to know our child better than anyone else will. Teachers are going to have our child in their classroom, but they only have them for one year. 
And when we have our children in the classroom and they go off to school, we still are going to know our child very well. And the more we can bond with them and learn their um, their learning styles while they're young, the better we can help our child as they get to school and really in life, because our goal is to not only be a lifelong learner for ourselves, but to help equip our children to be lifelong learners. And uh, we as moms, I mean, my son is 33 now, and we never stop being moms, and they still call and ask questions and and uh, I guess that's the privilege of life. But how will we ever know? It's something that you don't know instantly. It is something that you experiment with. Um, for example, some children may pick up on uh, rhymes and poetry and finger plays and songs. Others may um, uh, learn better through, here, here's an example, spelling words. Let's, let's just look at that, for example, once they, they get to school. If you know that your child uh, enjoys smells and tastes and, and certain colors, then once they get to school, and I used to have first graders, you could, and I would have them uh, practice their spelling words, you could get out a cake pan, just a rectangular one, and a box of powdered jello open up the package, sprinkle it in. And as your child, uh, you know, you shake it out and it's all flat and you have the word cat. That's one of your spelling words, let's say. Then your child can take their finger and you can show them how they can push in the jello and it'll make the C and then an A and then a T. And they're smelling the, the powder as they're making the letters. Their finger is tasting it as they're going. Um, their um, taste, touch, hear, smell, and see. The more, more organs, the more um, senses that they're using, it, the more it imprints in different parts of the brain so that when that spelling test comes, then they're able to um, retain and recall uh, those words. Again, focusing on the color that they like and uh, perhaps the flavor that they like best. That's genius. Oh, okay. That's like really smart. I would have never thought that. Like I would have uh, not even like known because I, you know, like I just like go on Amazon and I buy some flashcards and then I pray I can get them to stay still for seven minutes. Yes. Yes. And that's like, that's what I do. And then if I get through that, I'm like, yeah, I did my homework, you know, like, or whatever. And I, I don't know. So uh, that's great one. I like that one. Cause one of my kids really like sweets. There you go. And so you could do that with cooking or you could do that with different things when you're cooking and you could, you know, rather than TV, you just, you know, have them watch you put in cups, like things like that. That's cool. Exactly. Okay. Here's another one. If you're cooking and let's say that you're making macaroni, let's say a goulash or something like that. Some of the macaroni noodles fall over on the side of the counter. So your little one is standing there, you know, just humming away, just, you know, talking to you and you can say, um, you can say, um, let's play a game. And so for the next three minutes, you can uh, ask your child, all right, let's let's just have a story problem. Let's put three macaroni noodles on this napkin right here. And this napkin's going to, we're going to pretend this is a lily pad and these macaroni noodles are caterpillars. And let's say, not Let's say they're they're uh, tadpoles or frogs. Let's say let's call them frogs. All right. So lily pad and frogs, and you've got three on there, and you can say, all right, we've got three frogs that are having so much fun. There are two other 
little frogs that want to come over and sit on the lily pad with them. All right, let's bring them over. Now we've got three here and we've got two here. How many do we have all together? I don't know. One, two, three, four, five. You're touching them as you're counting them. What you've just shown them is a story problem. Story problems are hard because they are, um, they're, they're concepts that are not tangible. Maybe they're not able to move them. But if we can show them as a young child that story problems can be fun because there's a story involved with it. We play the game for maybe a minute and a half. And suddenly that story problem, I can do that. Okay, so let's say that that little group of five now have one of them go home for dinner. Well, if one of them goes away, how many do we have left? I don't know. Let's find out. One, two, three, four. We have four that are left. And it's just going back and forth like that. Um, having learning become a way of life, having learning become something that's fun and uh, creating that um, thought of anticipation um, for, for learning and preparing for school. Um, this is all really, really helpful. Like I'm so appreciative of all the work you've done throughout your life. I'm trying to think um, of other questions I may have. What other, I mean, any, what do you do with other learning dis disabilities? Like if it's not dyslexia or, you know, like, well, here's some different scenarios. Like what, what about a mom, you know, where there's problems in the house or something like I got to be home with my kids, but a lot of moms have to go right back to work. Mm -hmm. And let's say that mom has to give that child to a nanny all day long, 40 hours a week. And we don't know the education level of this nanny or, you know, maybe she's a teenager and that mom is just doing the best she can do. Right. Yeah. What can we give to like a nanny or someone else as well? Because there's a lot of moms that are that, that can't be home with their kids. What what can they like they can can they give their nanny the book and say, do these assignments? Are there any YouTube videos that you would like recommend that the nanny could do? Like things like that that would help moms. That's a that's a great question. Matter of fact, my research was on teen mothers and uh, their perceptions of um increasing literacy in their young children. And, oh, I could tell you all sorts of stories, but uh, what I found out from these young moms was what they were wanting to be able to learn. You know, from what I gathered from research and from the different committees that I've been on and, and boards, uh, national as well as state ones, um, I've found that, you know, it's easy to work with middle-class mothers that are um, stay-at-home because the data is good, but that doesn't help those mothers that are um, teen moms or that are from a lower socioeconomic level or those that have nannies. Um, so the book basically provides YouTubes. Um, I, I do have YouTubes that are, available through the website. You can see those. And what I do is I focus on a specific age and specific um, activity that they can do. The book, yes. Matter of fact, in the back part of the book, it lists out specific ages. And then this one is called Fishing for Letters and age four to five. Um, free writing, it, it, that's the goal. Um, materials that you need and then what's specific to do. So if you've got a nanny, 
then that would be something that you could look through or you could watch some YouTubes. You could gather some of the materials. Um, I would keep it in a baggie and then I had a plastic container with, with different activities in it. And depending on how much time I had, I would play certain games um, throughout the day. Um, but the goal is uh, the bonding that the mom can have with the young child uh, while they're interacting. Mm -hmm. And uh, that also helps prepare for that social emotional um, side of the child as well. So, so basically a mom that has a nanny and that kind of a situation, she can create this little plan and tell, cause I mean, I feel like when I have a nanny, I have to tell them exactly what to do or won't, nothing gets done. You know, yes. you have to say, okay, for 30 minutes, you need to do this at some point in the day and it has to be done. Or, you know, maybe 25 minutes here and 25 minutes in the afternoon in between naps, I want you to do these two activities and let me know how it progresses. And maybe you rotate three or to five activities a week and then they progress and graduate, right? I, I think that's fabulous. Matter of fact, what I did, you, you're, uh, you and I think a lot alike because when my son was small, I posted on the refrigerator. I had a calendar. I had a week at a glance and I had one, maybe two, depending on how old he was and how long his attention span was. I listed one or two activities that my goal was to achieve for that particular day. And uh, by the end of the week, um, if I was able to get through all of them, great. Um, so I, I think I, I, I like your idea and it sounds like what we were both thinking the same way. Great. Um, any other things you could think of in telling the listeners, like before we before we go, or ways that they can get a hold of you, or yeah. do you work privately, or in, where do you teach, things like that. Well, I, I do teach graduate school for um, um, for your college, but uh, my passion is moms because of all the things that I've ever done in life, being a mom is my greatest accomplishment. Uh, that's the legacy that we live behind. It's not the houses, it's not the clothes, it's not the, the car, which is all great to have, but it's the kids we leave behind for the next generation. So keeping in mind um, that even a few minutes a day is a life changer for our children. And remember, it can be with simple things from around the home, uh, two to three minutes a day with your goal being overall nine to 15 minutes a day. If you can do that, then that would be, I would, I would propose that for the goal. Um, YouTubes. Yes. You can find those on the website toolsformotherhood.com. And um, I've got several books that are going to be launching out. Of course, the first one just, just came out a couple weeks ago. And um, like I said, it, it hit number one bestseller in several categories um, within the first five, six days. And I was thrilled with, with that kind of positive outcome. Um, the next book is called Tools for Motherhood Resource Guide, A Thousand School Readiness Activities Moms Can Use uh, with Their Young Child Zero to Five. And that is uh, 30 years worth of research and gathering of ideas from young moms and just things that I use. So it's um, great. Thanks so much for inviting me. I appreciate being with you. And yeah. uh, we have a lot in common, it sounds like. I really appreciate your work. And thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it.
thankful for today. I'm glad we had this session today because again, you put a lot of things in perspective, things I still have not thought about, things that are in your book that I probably have not gotten to yet, but it's just talking to you about this and, you know, I don't know, telling me something that I didn't even know it could be. I learned how to open myself up more and that I don't have to live with the story that I've written before. I can change it. I just didn't, like I said, I didn't have a guide on how to go about releasing these things that are keeping me stuck. But now there's a way that I can change it around, change the globe. And yeah, just to repeat, so mystical motherhood, kundalini yoga will take you so far but it, it only mm-hmm. takes you halfway up the mountain. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good way to get a lot of energy and it's an amazing thing. Now, I don't think it takes you all the way up the mountain. <laughs> I think that the heart does. Yes. And I think that mind-based meditation practices, once you actually get to the level of the heart, but you have to clear the mind enough and you have to clear the story enough to even know what the level of the heart is. Now, I'm going to get a lot of shit for saying that, but it's true. Like until you can, and, and, and like, we're just not ready on a heart level to get there, but like the next work I do. So I want you to do those meditations, okay. but know they have their own limitations and there's Correct. not just one road, but That's the, right. but to get into that heart is you really, I keep on repeating back into the elements. You have to go into nature. Mm-hmm. You have to spend time alone because it's in that time alone that you'll actually gain your self-esteem. That's right. You have to walk. You have to like, it's like dedication back to self, love for self. And that generating that self-love all the way from the little girl up to now, Mm -hmm. whatever form that is, is like choosing you. Then we'll choose, then your environment responds to that. Your people and your son and your baby will respond to that internal change. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that happening. I can see that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so work with whatever meditation feels good. Yes. But also do those other practices. Mm-hmm. I will do that. I will. Um, next week, I plan on starting on a new one in the book. And um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it now. Like, I'm very, very, very excited to do all of these. And cool. I don't know. The last one I did felt really amazing. Okay, so I'm ready. Hey, okay. reach out with any questions, okay? I sure will. Okay. Thank Bye. you. Bye.